Welcome to episode number 16. We last talked about learning how to be humble. And now it's time to learn how to pray. Just want to remind you that I am not here to be a preacher or a teacher or to do Bible study. I'm here to tell the story of where we are as a church today. But before I get to all of that, before I get to talking about praying for God to heal the land, I must share a conversation that I had some days ago. The conversation went like this. I miss the church that I used to know. I quietly asked them, what is it that you miss? They answered me in a very low voice. The love. The love among the people. We were like family. Sometimes churches were the only families that people had. But that's all gone. During that time, we talked together before church and a lot of times, most of the times after church. But now today, the minute the benediction is said, the people are all racing to their cars. No eating together, no hugging, no having friendly laughter over who hit the wrong notes in the choir or who made up words to a song because they forgot the words. In fact, they're not even choirs anymore. He laughed really hard when he was talking about how the people would hit the wrong notes and make up the songs. But then almost immediately, the tears welled up in his eyes as he tearfully asked me a question. You mean in a whole church full of people, there are only four people, five people that can sing? Is that what you're saying? Is that what you all are saying today? Miss Storyteller, he said, how can that be? when churches used to have at least 15 to 20 people singing in a choir. And now all of that has been replaced with a praise team of four or five people. How can that be? He didn't give me a chance to answer. He continued to ask questions. He said, where is the church today? Where's the choir today? And then with great frustration in his voice, he said, where are the deacons? Are there no more deacons today? Where are the Sunday schools? His wife chimed in and said, I have children. But there are no Sunday schools to send them to. A lot of churches I hear 
have discontinued Sunday school altogether. So, Ms. Storatella, what do we do with our children? He turned to his wife and said, Remember, babe, how we look forward to vacation Bible school? We grew up on vacation Bible school. Parents planned for it. The kids planned for it. He, he repeated it. We learned all the stories about Jesus, about the disciples, about the prophets. We learned all of that at vacation Bible school. And then he said, babe, remember we had the best lunches? Remember those lunches and all those drinks? Remember how your, your, your vacation Bible school teacher could make the best drinks? That was their own concoction. Talking about that seemed to make him happy. It brought great joy to them. He talked about how they won prizes and how they even had contests with other churches that had vacation Bible school. But the laughter waned. The laughter ceased. As the tears welled up again in both their eyes. Miss Doratella, why did churches do that? Why did churches stop being family-oriented? They transitioned from Miss Storatella to Pastor Storatella. Pastor Storatella, he said, do you think Do you think we will ever get back to having church like that again, where families matter, where souls matter? I hated to hear that. It pricked me to the core to hear him ask, will we ever get back to being a church where families matter? But more importantly, he asked, where souls matter. Because obviously he's feeling like souls no longer matters in the churches. I didn't want to disappoint them or even magnify their pain even the more. So I said, if we pray, if we pray, Can you and I pray together? Let's pray. So we prayed together. But as the storyteller, I knew that I would have to pose that same question to you today. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors, children of God, I ask you, will we ever be that church again where families matter but more importantly where souls matter will we ever get back to that kind of church again I leave that with you to ponder on on your break during your lunch time on your ride home from work, when you get home and you're having your quiet time with the Lord, ask yourself and talk to the Lord about that. Lord, 
bother. Will we ever get back to a place where souls are the main thing? Will it? Now, let's move on. We want to talk about being humble. We talked already about being humble. We want to talk about praying now. Because now that you're humble for real, the next step in getting God to heal the land is to pray. I want you to say this with me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, oh so blind, but now I see. See, once God has put you on the the spinning wheel of humility to teach you to be how he wants you to be, to be who he wants you to be, Once you have graduated from his class, now you're ready to pray. But before you begin to pray, you have to tell him, I once was lost, but now, but now. Does that make you feel good to say, but now? I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. I didn't understand grace. I didn't know grace until he put me on that road to humility. And that's when I found grace. Tell yourself, grace is a powerful teacher. As he spun me around and around and around and around from one degree to the next degree. Grace became a powerful teacher. However, grace didn't beat me across the knuckles. Grace didn't slam me up against the wall. Grace didn't punch me in the chest. Grace did not kick me in the stomach. But grace All of my fears were relieved. All of my pain, all of my low-grade pain, my low-grade hurt were relieved. My low-grade low self-esteem were relieved. How precious. Wow. How precious did that grace appear? The hour, the minute, the second that I believe. I ask God, talk to yourself right now. If that's you, then tell yourself so you can tell it to someone else. I ask God, God, heal the land. But I wasn't even sure if I was his. He said, if my people, which are called by my name, 
would humble themselves and pray. I wasn't even really sure if I was his. I knew I wasn't humble. But God put me on a road called the road to humility and put me on a wheel and began to spin me and teach me. I may have said, ouch, but because of his grace, it was all, my ouch was always followed with hallelujah. Ouch, hallelujah. Ouch, thank you, Jesus. Grace became my teacher. Grace didn't hurt me. Grace didn't beat up on me. I found that grace was precious. And I can tell it. I can scream it from the mountaintop. As I climbed up from the valley, I can scream it now from the mountaintop. How precious did that grace appear in my life and will be in others' lives because I will be his ambassador. I would tell it. I would tell the story. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we've already come. He brought me a, a mighty long ways. Brought me out of many things, many dangers, many toils, many snares. It's hard being prideful. That's hard work. It's hard being boastful. You ought to tell yourself right now, it was hard being me. In my prideful state, in my arrogant state, it was very hard being me. It was hard living a life of needing recognition, needing attention, and not getting it. See, children of God, that kind of need will force you into a pattern of bondage that only grace can lead you out from under That kind of need of see me, want me, mention me, that mentality, that mentality right there would keep you ensnared like an animal, trapped like an animal, caged up, hemmed in. Man can't lead you out of that. Because the need to please man was what got you in that fix. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I've already come. But grace, I love that word, but grace taught you a lifelong lesson by your loving, 
forgiven, gentle, long-suffering Father. He heard you say, will you heal the land? But he knew he couldn't with you being in your state. He loved you that much to put you on his wheel, to turn you, to spin you, to keep you there until you graduated. Grace showed up in your life. And I can safely say grace showed up in my life. Grace showed up like the Calvary and relieved you of all that fear, all those toils, all those snares that had made you to become so mean, so ugly, made you to, be, to become an irritant to people. You, you became an irritant because of your meanness, because of your frustration, because of your hatred for yourself. You became mean and unforgiven because you didn't get from man what you thought you needed. And now, grace has relieved all those fears. The minute you began to believe, those fears were relieved. And what you came to know as God's grace, once you, be, once you began to realize God's grace, to accept God's grace, you were then ready to come off of the wheel. And then you were ready to ask God to heal the land. Then you could confess, I once huh, was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind before, but now I see. So, what is the proof of your change? What is the proof that you are now ready to pray? What is the proof that God changed you on that spinning wheel? That he changed you when you were on that road to humility? What is your proof? Well, the proof is that you can with a certainty say, people don't define me anymore. I don't need it. Positions do not define me anymore. I don't need the positions. Recognition doesn't define me. I don't need it. Awards, certificates, none of that stuff defines my quality. Nor does it define my worth. I don't need it. Because I now know who I am. I now know my worth. Grace taught me that. Admitting that I was not humble, that I needed God to teach me, that I needed God to put me on the wheel and spin me until I said, I once was lost, 
but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And now that I see, I'm ready to pray. Now, you said, God, will you heal the land? Now, you're in the right posture. You're in the right posture to pray about healing the land. You're positioned just right. See, prayer has a position. Now you can be trusted to intercede on behalf of the land. You can be trusted now not to sneak in a personal prayer about your own healing. Not to sneak in, not to ease in a personal prayer about your own disease. But you can stay focused about praying for the land. About healing the chaos in the land. The land in which you, in which you, you, do, you dwell. That land. The land that is now crumbling underneath your feet you can be trusted now not to sneak in a prayer about your children about your grandchildren and your children that are not even yet born see when you before you became humble you couldn't even pray for other people you were always moving over and to praying for you and your own. Bless my children. Bless my grandchildren. And my children that are not even born yet. Bless them. But now that you've been on the wheel. Now that he took you down to the potter's house and did some work on you. Did a transformation. He can fully trust you now. To intercede on behalf of the land. You see, a true intercessor is one who can easily pray on behalf of someone else other than themselves and theirs. A true intercessor is confident in the promises that God has already made concerning them and their children. A true intercessor, now I'm prayerfully that's you, I want you to listen to what a true intercessor really is. A true intercessor means I'm, I'm someone who's standing in the gap. I'm making up the hedge. A true intercessor is someone who heard what God said about their children, about them. And now that intercessor now has cast all that onto the Lord. And he's left it in God's hand based on the word that God gave them. And I want to just say this. Get a word from the Lord. Because if you don't get a word from the Lord concerning your children, concerning that thing that pertains to you, you will be praying for that same thing. You will be making that same request over and over and over again. But once you get a word from the Lord, hallelujah, You ought to tell him right now, Lord, I need a word from you. I need a word from you concerning the thing that concerneth me. Once you get your word, then now you can go on 
and become an intercessor for someone else. But get a word. Get a promise from God. Stand on his promises when you get it. And don't deviate. See, in the book of Genesis, Jacob knew what his God had revealed to him about his sons, all 12 of them. That's why I said to you, you need to get a word from the Lord. If you get a word from the Lord about your little snookums, you won't have to keep begging him over and over and over again. You can use that time to be an intercessor. Jacob already knew which one of his children would be a wild buck, which one would be meek and mild. He knew which one would delve over into acts of cruelty. Cruelty like we've never seen before. He already knew that. And he accepted what God said about them. That's the, second, that's the other thing. You've got to accept what God says about your little snookums. We don't want to accept it. We'll ask God about them. Tell me, God, about my children. Who are they? But when God tells you who they are, you don't want to accept it. Jacob accepted it. He knew the ones. That act of cruelty... Is that a hard thing for a parent to hear? Absolutely. But Jacob accepted that. We refuse to accept what God reveals. We always want to cite God out when he tells us about our children. We always want to fast and pray in the hopes that God will change his divine foreordained word concerning them. The word that came into effect concerning them before they were even formed in your womb, mothers. See, the word doesn't say pray for your children and I will heal the land. He doesn't say that. Here's what the word says about your children because we have a tendency to get that confused because we love those little darlings so much. He says, concerning your children, he says this. He said, train them up in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. He said, that's your job. Your job is not to beg me every day, all day, and then at night. That's not your job. Your job is to train them up. Those were your orders. Train them up in the way that they should go. Interpretation of that, you live holy before them. You set the example. You raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You teach them the word of God at home. Then take them to a church that still believes in Sunday school so that they can enforce the word of God in a way that they can understand even the more. You, I think I'm about to hit hit you where it hurts now. You remove the digital gadgets out of their hands and talk to them about real love. 
the love of Jesus Christ. Talk to them about a love that was so big that he died for them. Tell them that. Tell them about a Jesus that died for them when they were badder than bad and meaner than mean. You do it. He said, you do it. You train them up in that way, in the way they should go. I never said, pray for your children and I will heal the land. I told you what to do about your children. It's time now for you to pray on behalf of the land. Pray on behalf of someone else. Do your job. Question I have for you. Does my praying outweigh my training of them? Praying is easy. Training them up is work. So is it possible that we don't want to do the work? We want to do the thing that's easy, which is pray. And our prayers for our children mostly consist of, will you please, Lord? Don't do, Lord. Can you do this for for them, Lord? Our prayers for them consisted of begging and pleading. But God said, I don't need you to beg and plead for them. I need you to do the work. I need you to stop letting them make their own decisions to go or not to go to the house of God. It's not their decision to make. Are you listening to me? I need you to stop letting them make their own decision to go or to not go to church. The Bible commands that you train them up. You do it. They are not the school's responsibility, nor the church's responsibility. They are yours first. I need you to take some time on your lunch break today or on your regular break. Read Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 7. So you train them up. You talk to them about me. When you're just walking about, when you're out shopping, when you're just sitting around, Before you go to bed, include me in your conversation. That's what he's saying. When you wake up in the morning, include me. Question for you. When you are sitting down, just sitting around, how much conversation is about Jesus Christ? I'm asking you. That's the question. When you're just sitting around the house, Laying about in the family room. How much conversation is about Jesus Christ? 
or has the game taken up all of your attention? How does your Lord and Savior feel about the amount of time you prepare for the family game? But no preparation for family prayer time. Think about it. How does... This is not how the storyteller feels. How much conversation... How does God feel about the amount of conversation that is given to him? Or has the game... Doesn't matter which game, football, soccer, tennis, whatever. Has the game taken up all of your attention? How do you think the Lord feels about that? Or I'm going to ask you my favorite question, or do you even care? Do you care? Does it matter? Does it matter how the Lord feels about it? Does it matter that you prepare for family game time? But no preparation ever is made for family prayer time. We become so obsessed today. We spend money to buy team colors just to sit in the house during game season. We have our own special colors. We spend money that we really don't have to buy special food for game watching. You prepare to sit all day for the game. All day. Even if someone called you to talk about Jesus, it would upset you to no end. It would upset you to almost want to commit a violent act. Hey, not on game day. No Jesus talk during the game. We're talking game here. What? Jesus? You want to talk Jesus when it's my day to binge watch my housewife shows? You want to talk Jesus when it's my day to binge watch all the games? But Jesus, your Lord and Savior, the one who died for you, is saying loud and clear, do your job. Train your children. Train them up. Give them me. Don't stop fretting about them. Don't worry anymore. Get my word concerning them. I have a word concerning them, and I want to give you the word that I have concerning them. And you train them up accordingly. Train them up based on that word that I've given you concerning them. Give them to me. I need you to pray about the land. I need you to pray about this chaos that's running rampant in the earth. You give them to me now. And you pray to me to heal the land. You should be mature enough now to be able to focus on asking me to heal 
not you, not your children, but the land. If you do that, then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive you your sins, number one. I'll hear from heaven. And I will heal the land. Give God some praise. Tell him what you're going to do. Tell him, say, Lord, I heard the word. And I received the word. And I'm going to do the word. I thank you for listening on today. I am the storyteller. But before I leave, let me just say this. You can now listen to the storyteller on various sites. You can listen to me on Anchor, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Twitter, and of course on Facebook. I thank you so much for listening. But I thank you even more for doing. Don't just be a a hearer, but be a doer of the word. May God bless you real good until we talk again. I am the storyteller.